0: You've been listening to Glastocast. This is Beans on Toast, Jesse and Miguel. Check it out. See you in the fields.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Glastocast, the unofficial Glastonbury Festival podcast. Well, you heard it there from the man himself that was beans on toast with his intro for us. You know, I thought we'd play that right up front. He is our guest for this episode. It was such a fun conversation. He is one of those guys that is a bit of a Glastonbury legend. If you've been going for a few years, you will have found him playing a stage somewhere. You will have walked past and gone, who's this guy? But if not, he's going to tell you all about himself as well. He has been going to Glastonbury for 25 years now, so... He's got all the stories and we had some really, really fun chat. So let's get into it. Right, guys, we have an awesome guest today. One of those names that when you hear kind of, at least for me and a lot of people I know, takes you to Glastonbury, takes you to those smaller stages and really gives you that vibe. But somebody who's been associated with Glastonbury for many, many years, I'm sure we're going to get into that. And it's just the friendly face you're going to find around every corner in Worthy
0: Farm, essentially. Jay, say hello. Who are you? Hello, everybody. I'm beans on toast around every corner at Worthy Farm. Um, yeah, I have been going to the festival for, you know, for a long, long time. And i I feel like Glastonbury kind of runs in my blood, to be honest. It's that important to me. So it's nice to be here and talk to you about it on your podcast.
1: You're one of those people that when we started this podcast, I was like, I hope we get to a point where I can invite him on and he'll be keen for it. So really, really happy to have you here. And yeah, I mean, me and Miguel probably would say that Glastonbury runs in our veins as well. But I think you take that to new heights. Um, So when did you first go to Glastonbury? What was your first year?
0: I was 16. It was 1997. And I knew very little about Glastonbury at the time. Um, I actually went there to meet up with a girl. I wrote about this in my first book, so I always feel like I'm kind of cheating people by retelling the story. But um, yeah, I Glastonbury didn't get half as much kind of coverage as it as it does now, so it was still quite mysterious. But I went... I mean, I loved music, and I sort of knew that Radiohead were playing and stuff like that. But my main draw was to try and meet up with a girl that um, I'd met at a placebo gig And, um, I did meet up with her and also, yeah, I just sort of got to witness Glastonbury and all its magnificent beauty. I was 16. I was there. I went there for about a week. I stayed in in, in Glastonbury town and then went down to the festival. And, uh, I mean, it changed my life. I came back a, a different person than I went. And, uh, since that year, however many how long, however long ago that was 25 years ago or something uh, I've been to every Glastonbury since I've, I've never missed one
1: yeah I was gonna say um I, you know I brought this up because I, I I've sort of read that story and I love that that was the only time you'd bought a ticket right and then by the time the festival turned up or the gates opened you'd actually lost your tent lost most of your belongings and you just walked through the gates and went right okay here we go <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. I bought the tickets off a girl that lived at the bottom of my road called Crystal Graham. Um, And I think it was like, I think it was less than 100 quid. It was like 70 or 80 quid or something. And um, I managed to walk, not not even try, and I walked through the main gate without showing the ticket to anybody and realised I was sort of inside the festival and I had no money and nowhere to stay or anything. So I... I went out and sold it and I know that ticket touting is probably in this day and age, you know, it's not a very romantic thing, but it was a kind of (laughs) needs must for a, for a 16 year old. Uh, And there was 75, 75 quid to be had. So I sold it to a tout and got back into the festival. I mean, you could come and go from Glastonbury back then with the correct stamp on your hand as if it was like an indie club, you know, it was that, it was that, um, Security was that different as opposed to to what it is now. So, yeah, that was amazing. Worse. And that seventy-five quid, prob- I mean, it probably would have been a different weekend if I was literally in there penniless. Could could well have been better. Who knows. Yes.
1: Amazing, and then uh, I wonder because obviously you've written that in your book now, and this story has got out there. I know, but has uh, has I know you said you never saw Mary Fairy ever again, but has she ever? Has anyone ever sort of claimed to be her, or has she materialised again since this story's kind of been told around? No, I kind of guess I, I
0: did wonder that myself, as you put a story like that. I still, go, I still go since putting the book out. I sort of make a point of being at the tiny tea tent at six o'clock on Thursdays, which is kind of where the original meeting took place. I mean, not in the hope to sort of rekindle any sort of lost love from all those years ago, but just in a um, just out of interest more, more than anything. But um, yeah, no one has sort of said, "Oh, I know Mary Fairy," or. Um, as far as I know, word never got back to her. And not that that was the point of me writing the book. It was more just the, um, or the chapter in the book. It was more just saying how it went down than anything else.
2: Do you remember if it was a specific moment on your first time? I know it's been 25 years, but or maybe you wrote about this on your book, but when was it at Glastonbury that you realized that uh, this, is, this is going to change my life? I'm going to be coming here every, every
0: single year now. I don't think it was probably when I got home. To be honest, I think I was from the minute that I got through the gate, I was only living in the moment. I feel like the rest of my life vanished. You know, I had no past or no future. <laughs> All that mattered was what was going on there and then. And probably the, the more so than ever in, in, in my life. I mean, I you know, I was it wasn't like I was completely green. You know, I'd been to gigs and parties and stuff like that. Um, but. Yeah, it was just, I didn't think about it at the time. I just completely absorbed myself in all that was to, to, you know, offered. And then I kind of come back. I think it had been like, I'd never even sort of gone that long about shaving before. I think I came back, I looked physically different. Uh, and I think even my parents were like, wow, like they hadn't heard from me for, you know, and I sort of come back and I think everybody knew it was like, That's it. He's, you know, he's found his calling. (laughs) (laughs) I love that.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I've had that before. I've sort of come back and friends have gone like, oh, uh, you're a bit different now. I'm like, yes, yes, that's the one. Normally, I think my voice has got deeper after every Glastonbury, to be fair. Um, What would you say, like, how was your, like, first performance at Glastonbury? Like, was it how many years after you first went, did you actually you know, maybe pick up a guitar or even just join someone else on stage, something like that?
0: There, I suppose my, there's there's sort of two first performances um, at Glastonbury. One of them was great and one of them was tragic. And I guess it must have been around 2000 and maybe 2006, 2007, or maybe 2007, 2008. But um I was, at the time, I was sort of living in London uh, in a pub called Nambuka, putting on shows. And I was basically, I'd sort of written these songs and I had the name Beans on Toast. And they were, I used to sort of like play like grunge music and stuff. Like that. And I'd written these new songs that I could tell were, were kind of different than anything I'd done before. And they're really English. And I had the name Beans on Toast. And my loose plan was to start a band basically. Um, mm-hmm. And I had a collection of songs and then just at, it wasn't even like an open mic tent, but just in some tent late at night, some guy was mm-hmm. singing on the guitar and it just kind of got left. And I was like, Oh, can I get up and do some tunes? And I did. And I was sort of halfway through my first song and I realized, you know, I don't need a band with these songs that I've written. This mm. is like, this can work. It was, it was preaching to the converted. I had a lot of songs about getting hammered at festivals and I was singing it to a bunch of hammered <laughs> people at a festival. So it was sort of, it ticked a box, but it was like, became came from, I think I played three songs. And then I went home and just completely, that was really where Beans on Toast was kind of born right there at Glastow um so that was the first ever Beans on Toast gig and then a year I sort of gigged constantly after that and a year later I got my first like official Glastonbury booking which was on the left field stage at like 11 a.m on the Thursday or something like that and um I did the obnoxious sort of thing that I did back then whereas I thought that was a good excuse to kind of stay up all night doing cheap speed. And uh, I was an absolute mess. I couldn't sing my songs. Um, And my my guitar was out of tune. And it was like, I was surprised I ever got welcomed back to the festival, to be honest. So my other, my, my first sort of like gig was brilliant. And my first uh, official gig was a a mini disaster, but it, it was also sort of, that also sort of, uh, paved the way for the kind of beans on toast for happen that I did years after, which was me getting very hammered and it being quite casually sort of forgetting the words and kind of
2: carelessness, which
0: <laughs> I guess had some kind of charm to it.
2: But um, yeah, there you go. While that was happening, uh, you realize you're having more people following you or people were contacting you.
0: Um, I didn't. I mean, that was. Again, that was what fifteen years ago or something. So it was more my music changed as as I changed. I mean, I suppose the um, the other big one, which was also many years later, another sort of Glastonbury epiphany, was giving up taking drugs. Was after a weekend at Glastonbury mm. um, where I'd had, you know, I'd had a big weekend, like you said. There, Jesse. I, my voice was shot. I mean, I used to talk like this. That was my whole kind <laughs> shtick. You know, my shtick when I started off was, you know, like I had, I, t- I sung about parties and festivals and getting wrecked, and, and I had the voice to back it up. And um, but I was getting more and more gigs, and people were kind of, you know, it was becoming more of a real thing. And my voice was getting worse. And then after a particularly big glass day, I just couldn't talk, you know, I woke up, I had a whole summer worth of festivals. I couldn't talk, let alone sing. And I, I'm laying there in my, in my tent, staring up at the ceiling, kind of literally thinking about how I couldn't, how I knew I wasn't going to be able to talk for a couple of days. And, uh, and I just sort of like fought it all through and I gave up on the spot. I gave up smoking cigarettes and all chemical drugs And uh, I haven't touched any of them since, you know, and like a week later when I had my next festival gig to everyone else, I still sounded like, you know, like the robot, but to me, I'd gained, I'd gained my voice back and, um, over the course of the next sort of three or four years it leveled out to a thing where I, I wasn't the guy with the funny voice and i documented all that in song as well you know i documented the taking drugs and the stopping of the the taking drugs um in song and again in in, in my books as well so but yeah that um another epiphany was it was glastonbury that's, that spurred that change and i am still you know like that doesn't mean that I don't sort of think that recreational drugs have an important place in society. You know, that's a different podcast, I guess, but I sort of, mm-hmm. I had, um, I sort of had my fill and I was sort of aware of that and it was Glastonbury that made, well it's Glastonbury where I became aware of it. So
1: It's interesting because, um, I first, well, I was about to say discovered. I mean, I didn't discover you, but I first became aware of you when you supported Frank Turner at Wembley in 2012. Was that, I think it was? Yeah, that coming? would have been 2012, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think what, you know, you, you mentioned it at, at the start of what you were saying there was that actually you were just so endearing that you were, you know, the opening act and like, you know, I think... Yeah, you did do the whole kind of like, oh, wait a minute, what's my next verse kind of thing in the middle of the song? And it was one of those, like, it it, it made you think, like, that's my friend standing up there singing to all these people, even though I'd never... Sort of met you or knew of you before, if you see what I mean. But you gave off that aura of like you're everybody's mate, and you're doing your best, and let's all have a good time and sing along together. And I think that was what really was really endearing at the
0: time. Um Yeah, I, I call it mastered the art of fucking up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mastered the art of. Fucking, I love that. Um Yeah, I can't remember like if I've if I noticed that was you know your voice was kind of like deeper or hoarser then or, or or now, but yeah, I do remember obviously like. You know, back then, every time you played, it was MDM amazing that everybody was like, come on, let's let's have some of that. And now it's kind of you've got such a whole um repertoire of songs, if you know what I mean. It's a lot. The, the choice is a lot wider. Um And I think it's really nice. You know, I've, I was talking to a few people on um there's been a discord set up uh, f- from. You know, lots of people from Efest have recently set up a Discord. So we were talking about this the other day and talking about you. And, um, you know, everybody was sort of saying about, oh, it's funny how sometimes you play the chicken song, sometimes you don't, and then you sort of switch out the lyrics a bit. Anyway, I'm going off on a mega tangent. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those things that that's what I think about when I think about you, is that kind of when anybody sees you on stage, you grab people instantly and you almost make people feel like... You met them last night in the pub. If you see what I mean. Oh, I know this guy. I've met this guy. Now he's up here singing. Let's give him a big cheer. There's yeah. As you say, mastering the art of fucking up. But
0: I feel I feel very relaxed on stage. Almost, you know, sometimes that's the sort of most sort of comfortable place for me to be. And uh, so I guess maybe that that plays into that a little bit. Um, and yeah, you know, also my songs. like I said my songs document you know, what I'm doing. And there's, there's an honesty to them that when people, a lot of people say to me, Fucking hell, I feel like I know you. And I was like, well, you probably do. You know, I'm not really holding much back.
2: <laughs> am I? Um, so, yeah, it's cool, man. I do I do have a, actually a question on, on that subject, which is what's your process for writing new music if you keep writing notes when you have some inspiration or you sit down? one day and one afternoon and say, right, and now I'm going to write some ly- lyrics. I want to talk about this subject. How, how does it work for you? Well,
0: the one I, when I had my epiphany and decided to stop taking coke and pills, the one thing that I knew I wouldn't ever stop was smoking weed. And uh, that is my songwriting process. <laughs> Basically, it doesn't really extend much further than that. I sort of live my life. And I sometimes think, oh, you could turn that into a song or That'd make a good lyric, but I never really make notes or anything like that. I just kind of go and go. And then when I have an evening to myself, you know, I'll I'll have a spliff, I'll sit down and I'll write two or three songs. Um, And that's just what that drug has always done to me. Um, It just sort of inspires me. I, I, I write a lot. I'd never want to play. I can't really play other people's songs. Um, And I kind of don't see the point of playing my own songs when I've already written them um, and I've learnt them. I wouldn't sort of just sit around sort of jamming to myself with my old tunes. So my natural thing, if I want to sit and play guitar, is To write a new song
2: after you have something new, do you tend to share some demos with some maybe some close friends or you try them live? Oh, mate, I'll do it the next gig, even if a
0: song's not finished. You know, I'm <laughs> gigging more than I'm writing, and if I've got an idea that I'm halfway through, I'll always be like, Does anybody want to hear a song I haven't finished yet? You know, and sort of play it <laughs> out. I mean, I think it was uh John Prime that said, Um, you know, if a song isn't really a song until someone else has heard it. You know, you don't really know what a song means to you or whether it's got legs or, or, or what it is at all in the, when it's just private. So play it to. And that's that's something that I say to other people that songwriters that ask for advice. Was like, you know, always play a song to other people um, don't keep them to yourself, you know, because you'll never know what they are until you until you feel what you feel when you're playing it in front of
2: someone else. So, so then you actually, you're actually excited to share instead of being nervous for playing for the first time. Oh god, yeah. I mean, there's
0: not much nervousness in anything that I do. has been
2: okay. <laughs> Excellent.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, that. surely you must play it to Lizzie first, and then you know, then it branches out. Or is it literally like I thought of something last night, and I'm now I'm going to
0: play it on stage. <laughs> Yeah, I mean if Liz is around, she's kinda of heard it all before, man. It's not like it's sort of like, hey baby, wanna hear my new number? I mean, <laughs> that happens that that happens a bit, but um more more often than not, it's just like, yeah, you know, if I'm working on something and there's a gig the next day, then it will get aired that day, for sure.
1: I think that's a great process to have. And I think as you say, it's just it's really like raw and natural and it's just not like, yeah, it's not what a lot of people do. Do you know what I mean? It's not polished, it's not it's not Abs it's not perfection and people I think that's what people really like about it I saw you last year at well I've seen you many times but one of the ones was last year at the Greenpeace stage at Glastonbury I mean I definitely felt like they put you on too small a stage because I turned up about 10 minutes before thinking it would be fine couldn't get anywhere near the place I had to like wiggle my way around into the side and then even then I think I probably saw like your left elbow from the very very side of the stage I couldn't actually see you on stage
0: yeah It was more more people than they'd ever had in that field, apparently, (laughs) which is you know, which is nice. Uh, I mean, and that was like, um, I mean, I was also playing bloody hell. It was two thousand nineteen. Was I was also doing left field as well, which was you know, the Greenpeace one was the. you know not a surprise gig but it was it wasn't sort of seen as the main one but I guess if it's on the app Mm. you know it's on the app and everybody knows that it's there so I actually walked out on stage I thought I was going to play like loads of random tunes because I was like I'll save all the you know all the biggins that everybody wants to hear for the main show and I was sort of halfway through playing some random tune I looked up I was like what am I doing (laughs) stop trying to be clever just fucking play, just play the songs that everyone's shouting for, and just sort of like completely derailed the gig, and uh, and it, and it was much. Love better love that. For
1: it. But what what would you say is like the smallest crowd you've ever played to? Obviously, I'm thinking that first tent when you first went on and said, "Can I just jump on the mic a minute?" But like you've done left field, but I know you're one to pick up a guitar and 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 you know give it a go wherever you are. But what's like the smallest kind of crowd?
0: I mean, I've definitely played shows to no <laughs> one. Really, i'm <laughs> <laughs> the uh i mean there's always someone that this is probably the, the the sort of a sort of tragic gig which stands out which was either depends how you want to look at it, it was either to an audience of like 500 or to an audience of one was um i was playing at the bar next to west Holt's, and most people won't even know that there's a stage in there because it is definitely a bar you know like It is, there's, you know, everybody, you only go in there to get a drink and there's fucking hundreds of people in there queuing up, wanting a drink. I was playing in there while Sheik were playing on West Holt stage. And it was like, you know, you could hear the fucking tunes banging through and you couldn't, there was no, nothing coming at the speaker. But I was like, it was completely pointless thing, but I'd sort of said that I would do it. So I was like, all right, kind of like felt like a bit of an idiot, but got up there and then, like, I was like halfway through my first song, and I looked down, and I was like, "Oh look, there's someone that's watching." <laughs> and it was bloody Steve Lamack you know. Like, I played some cracking gigs that year at Glastonbury. and like Steve, who I, you know, who I sort of know to say hello to, kind of waved and was like, "You're right up there." And I was like, "Oh bloody hell!" <laughs> um, and he went on years later. He uh, he was talking about me on Six Music, and he was he said he was like. It's like every every corner you turn, like you said, you like, every corner you turn at Glastonbury, beans on is on stage playing somewhere. And I know he was referring to just playing in a, to everyone's backs turned in the bar at West Holtz. But, you know, it was, you know, a gig's a gig. And I guess that gig in turn got a little shout out on Six Music. So, you know, like always play, yeah, always play your best. <laughs> that's you know free promotion
1: why not like if you could choose then all right so we've had your smallest one i love that but if you could choose your perfect glastonbury stage and then what kind of day you know whether you go for the wednesday thursday or more like the sort of saturday um and sort of time what would your like perfect glastonbury gig look like
0: well my my sort of sweet spot for festivals is sunday at three o'clock And uh, that was a kind of tradition that I had at Secret Garden Party. I used to play Where the Wild Things Are. That time, January fluctuated a little bit. generally around three o'clock. And then more recently, Boomtown Festival, which I kind of played religiously on the Sunday at three o'clock. And there's something about that time slot where... Certainly the Boomtown one, people always talk about how much the gig makes them cry. And, uh, and you know, like they think that it's the deep emotions of my songs, but it's actually just, you know, like the state <laughs> of their bodies and their heads on a Sunday. And you just strum a gentle G chord and it kind of, it ticks all the right boxes. And uh, that is that is always my sweet spot to play at a festival. So Sunday, three o'clock and, you know, where else but the Pyramid
2: stage, if I was choosing uh, have you ever stepped foot on the pyramid stage?
0: I haven't, no. I parked behind it once, years and years ago. Again, like when things were pretty different and we managed to get our our white transit in because it just looked ropey enough for no one to stop us or ask us where we could and couldn't park. And we sort of parked underneath the pyramid stage in the dark of night. And also when a friend of mine that works for Glasgow took me for a little tour of the site in like, I, I think it was like, May or something like that, when the festival wasn't happening, and uh, the, we sort of looked at the pyramid stage, and sort of walked around it. Then, but I've never been up on there as part of the festival. No,
2: I was just thinking as well. I think uh, looking at the timeline, you start playing at Glastonbury right about when it's to it started to get difficult to get tickets to go to the festival. So yeah, I think it worked out pretty, really well for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was. I did. I think I did. I did X amount of years jumping in. Certainly, my first probably my first five years what year did the fence go up it was like 2002 2002. yeah yeah so 97 to 2002 and then yeah by that time the first two years i I managed to get jobs working in and around the festival in exchange for tickets and then that slowly led to yeah getting you know certainly the first the first bunch of gigs that i had the, the kind of i guess still the sort of rule of thumb for the gigs on them smaller stages is if you're not asking for a ticket then there's a there's a gig to be had if you know what i mean it's like get yourself in and then you get your gigs sorted afterwards
2: uh yes uh, we did have a we spoke with captain from boomtown and he also suggested if you want to start going to glastonbury every year you should start playing (laughs) yeah good shout good advice how do you do, Glastonbury these days? Do you see much of the main stages, or do you do you tend to stay at the smaller ones? I've always
0: sort of like chopped and changed. You know, there's always there's as many acts on the um, on the main stages as as there will be kind of things going on and mates and whatnot on the the other little bits and bobs. Like I don't really see the point of the people that are like, oh, I I hate the pyramid, I only like this bit, or or vice versa, I only kind of enjoy the pyramid and and don't know that the other bits existed. Um, I'll I'll spread out, yeah, you know, I have a pretty varied sort of taste in music, so I'd say that each stage has a, um, each stage has sort of one person that I particularly want to see, looking at the lineups Mm -hmm. as they're appearing. So I'll certainly feel like I'll be... uh, scooting around amongst the whole festival so
1: yeah that's what that's what you always say is the best way to do it because I mean the pyramid is the pyramid right and it always looks amazing on on the BBC when you watch it back afterwards and it is amazing to stand in that field but yeah you've got to make sure you get about don't you
0: yeah I think you'd be a fool not to watch a band on the pyramid though especially just for the sake of I don't know trying to be too cool for school or whatever you know some of the best I mean you know, I will definitely be there for Paul McCartney this year. You know, I was, I was raised on the Beatles. And, uh, well, there you go. You know, Mac are in the house. It's going to be amazing.
2: How do you Glastonbury? Is the question we ask all of our guests. And, well, the reason for this podcast to be... There are so many ways to experience the festival and we want to hear your stories, moments you share with the strangers, things you lost and things you found. Thank you for everyone sending their suggestions and audio clips. We listen to them all. For this episode, we will hear from Tom, who shared his top tips and a reminder to us, addicts.
3: Hello, Glastocast. My name is Tom. Uh, This is going to be my fourth Glastonbury. I am very, very excited. Uh, Excitement has been building since I got my ticket in 2019. So, as you can imagine, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not far to go now. So, excitement levels are ridiculous. I think this could be the one. I think, Miguel, this could be better than 2014. Uh, I think that Rob might finally climb the Rainbow Tower. I think that maybe Jesse will finally go to the Glasto sign, And maybe this year I will finally actually watch a film at Glastonbury, which I say every year and every year doesn't happen. I have a few quick tips for you. First quick tip is take a thermos flask with you and then go to the cider bus before bed uh, and they will serve you hot cider into your thermos flask, which you can then take with you to your tent Uh, And sit there and enjoy warm cider before bed. It is a treat. Another tip for you is a flip stick, which is a lifesaver, given that Glastonbury is so massive and we spend so long of it walking around and on our feet. Um, It is essentially a stick with a seat on the top that folds up. And the folding up part is the crucial part because... Having a large stick on you at all times would be really quite annoying, um whereas having a a foldable it folds up very small, so yeah, having that that you can just shove in a uh, a bag it comes with a bag or you can just put it in your day bag um and then when you're just sort of hanging around and your legs are hurting and you you know you can't be bothered to sit on the floor or don't want to sit on the floor, yeah, you can just whip out your your seated stick. Uh, and feel like a, a king or queen. So that's a yeah. That's that's uh, served me very well. One other thing I would say is, uh, people that are listening to the GlastoCast podcast, people who are on the forums, on the Facebook groups, etc. Just be aware that we are the kind of top, if not one percent, you know, the top ten percent of Glastonbury obsessives. Um, you know, we get all excited about when the map gets released um most people aren't like that um stuff that we take for granted knowledge of secret sets knowledge of secret venues things like that most people don't actually know so um just you know share the love like uh, don't go interrupting people's conversations in a rude manner but if you get chatting to random people um like tell them tell them things tell them about stuff that you've learned tell them about things that you know you you will improve their experience hopefully um and you will be that guy that knew that thing so yeah um share share your knowledge hashtag
2: share the love in detail. thank you so much for your contribution and speaking of the online glass community there's a couple of new additions that you may want to check it out a discord server was set up by a group of users I'm not gonna go into the details here, but it all happened quite fast and the name for the Discord server, at, the, at least at the moment, is TheOtherFests. There's some discussion to change that in the future, but in the meantime, if you just go into your browser and type TheOtherFests.co.uk, it will redirect you into an invite and you can join the server from there. If you're not familiar with Discord, the community has done videos and other guides to help you get acquainted. Uh, It's a mixture of forums, maybe a little bit of Twitter in there, because it does have a chat, so the dynamics are quite different and it may work quite well during the fast food. And another one is a website that is a great addition to your toolset to make the most of Glastonbury, and that's fastifood.eu. Is a website that shows you a map where the food stalls are at the festival. How great is that? And anyone can contribute and help Dave who launch the project to get the map complete. So have a look at those. And as Tom said, share your knowledge and share the love. Back to you, Jesse.
1: I was going to ask you, um, what would you say, you know, obviously you've been going since 1997, which is awesome. The festival's changed a lot since then. What would you say, is there anything that you feel is, you know, you miss from sort of the '90s years or the early Noughties years, and then are there any like new bits that have come in that you think are, you know, obviously, you know, incredible new bits to the to the festival?
0: It's certainly a lot cleaner than it used to be, um, which I think is I think is a really good thing. And, and I think in the last few years as well, um, or in the last few Glastonbury's, if you know what I mean, um, they made huge strides on that, and it feels like a lot a lot less crap underfoot. Um, I also feel like it's probably quite a lot safer than perhaps it was. I think people want to hark back and be like, it used to be really edgy and sort of like romanticize it, but you know, like I'm not really, I'm up for making the world a safer and more open place, you know? And I think that it has, it has done that. I suppose, um, What perhaps I don't like is the fact that it it being so difficult to get tickets, I guess, makes it a sort of exclusive event. It'd be lovely if there was a world where everybody that wanted to go to Glastonbury could, you know, like rather than it being a kind of a lottery of of sort of everyone. I I sometimes wonder how many, if they kind of, if they were, you know, said, we're just going to sell tickets (laughs) and see how many people, how many tickets could they actually sell? Around the world if there's was like, we're just gonna make it work, everyone can come. How many tickets they would actually be able to do? And maybe like they could just then run Glastonbury for like a month or whatever. It'd be like, <laughs> no. it'd be like uh, a, like a swimming swimming pool. It'd be like if those with a purple <laughs> wristband, your Glastonbury has finished. Please exit <laughs> now. And it's sort of bring in, we, bring in the next lot.
1: That would be. Uh, we've talked about this. We'd be like, I would love Glastonbury to go on for like three weeks, but then also it is kind of like. If oh, but working, it wouldn't go
0: on. It, it wouldn't go on for three weeks if you you just you'd just have your four days like everyone else, and then you'd be scooted <laughs> off when the next oh, yeah, people yeah. come yeah, in. The, the
1: ticket holders would, but the poor people who are working there. By weekend three, they'd be like, right, I'm fed up with this now. You lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be as special.
0: Yeah, but I, I, I suppose it's just like it would. I sometimes when you sort of talk about Glastonbury. And you're not there to, to people that are, that want to go and can't. It always kind of sucks if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. That it oh, feels yeah. like it's sort of like it, not not through any fault of its own, but it has just because it's so popular, it's sort of become exclusive in a way.
1: Yeah, that is something we talk about. And it, you know, I wish everybody that could go could go as well. That would be really nice. Um, I just want to, you know, go back. You said about it being sort of safer and cleaner, and um, that was something we we had like a podcast that we talked about after the 2019 festival and we thought we'd only be waiting nine months till the next one or whatever we did a podcast and we said that how you know there was a stark difference between 2017 and 2019 as far as kind of how clean it was at the end or even like after a headliner on one of the main stages you didn't have the crunch 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 underfoot nearly as bad in 2019 um I know you've done work with Boomtown as well. You wrote your song, I think, in 2019, wasn't it, about, about clearing up after a festival. You, you know, do you think, you, are you seeing, like, a big change, do you think, across, you know, all festivals that you go to? Do you think people care more about the sort of clear up afterwards and the and taking stuff home?
0: Um, not really. I think different festivals have different mindsets, don't they? But I also think that, you know, as much as it's easy for Like, you know, the Daily Mail to go like, look at all these fucking eco warriors that come for a weekend and they drop all their crap on the floor. It's important to remember that, you know, like a week after Glastonbury, it's completely clean. You know, everybody is. There is an agreement there that people have kind of signed up for and paid for. Yes, it would be lovely if nobody left a speck of rubbish on the floor. But it's not like that. That's different from. I don't know, trash in a local park. Um, and, yeah. I you know, I it, it, and I feel that, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm certainly not, you know, like I'll try and encourage people to clear up after themselves. But at the same time, I, I try not to sort of point too many fingers, you know, as a 16-year-old, not 16, sorry, maybe when I was like 18, 19 going to Reading Festival, you know, like I didn't give a shit, you know, I'd push over toilets, you know, and like mm. reset my fucking, camped my tent on fire because I was like thought I was being cool it's more you know like um it's more mindset than anything else but I mean hopefully it feels it still feels like it's a, a teenage thing uh is the kind of me- leaving a mess behind behind you and you kind of grow out of it don't you so hopefully but I can't say I've seen anything yeah
1: I think I think the teenagers are starting to get it though do you know what I mean? I feel like the teenagers are start, It's starting to filter down to them. Like, yeah, I was the same. I went to Reading and, like, you know, the guy next to me was grabbing shit to put on a fire. And I was like, yeah, and, like, go to find stuff and throw it on. And, yeah, burn it. And, like, you know, all the kind of chaos of being a teenager. But, like, I, I think it is really filtering down to them. Maybe it's the urgency of climate change and everything and how it's all going on. But I, I definitely am seeing a difference. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm going to the right festivals. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well,
0: yeah well this is it this is it i mean I, I i do you know this year i'm playing 32 festivals so i generally see a kind of pretty sort of across across the board view um i mean i, I don't want to sound sound cynical you know um i'm sure overall i think the world is sort of better in itself and am waking up to this but um let's see let's see this year i know that i won't be making any mess
2: speaking of that because you, you play at so many different festivals and also you tour in usa is that a is that a difference playing for different crowds then for you you're feeling different not
0: really not really i have kind of like an on switch <laughs> and I, it just i just switch it when i get on stage and i put as you know like as much care and uh or i enjoy myself let's say as much i will enjoy myself tomorrow when i play a small pub in Froome as much as uh, I will, you know, like on stage at Glasgow. You know, like it's all I, I enjoy it all. And once I get in the kind of in the groove of a gig, you know, it, it's it always it always feels very similar for me.
1: So, Jay, what would you say your favourite area of Glasgow is? And I know that's difficult to pin down. But if you if you did have one, maybe one off the beaten track that people might not have been to, or or maybe not. But you know, what would you say your sort of favourite little? little area is
0: greenpeace and uh for the kind of selfish reasons that for the last few years that's kind of where i've been camping uh basically and uh it's a sweet little setup for a lot with a lot of people that run the the greenpeace stage and a lot of greenpeace staff that are there kind of chugging you know getting people to sign up for the uh for the charity and stuff like that and i'll tell you that is a very tidy field very clean showers and toilets because of you know because of the nature of the and there's a lot of young people there so um yeah and I just think I I think just because of the closeness of it you know like um I've been playing that stage probably more than any other stage over the over the years and uh, uh good friends of mine like my booking agent helps book the stage so yeah, it just feels like that is uh, for the last three or four years, or three or four Glastonbury's, that's been kind of my home during the festival. So, yeah, that's my favorite.
1: Yeah, I, I spoke about this before, but the Thursday of Greenpeace in 2019, that was when you played. But uh, it just had a run of like all my favorite people. It had Too Many Tees, Dirty Moonshine, Big Band, Oh My God, It's the Church.
0: Um, all of those are this is now agency.
1: Yeah, this is now exactly so it was awesome. So I, was, I basically spent my entire Thursday
0: uh, at Greenpeace, and
1: I have to say, by about five PM, I was very trashed because I had lots and lots of cocktails. Um,
0: <laughs> but you will see me, well, there, they're, they're yet they're yet to announce the the uh, Greenpeace lineup yet, but I can uh, I, I feel like it's going to be pretty special.
4: Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, anything similar to that one, I'll be happy about it. And uh, if you're camping there this year, look out for me. I'll be camping in Greenpeace this year. So our respect. Yeah, and uh, I was going to say the other thing. uh, I think I remember reading, and and forgive me, it was a little while that I read your books, um, but didn't you have something to do with Strummerville, you know, years ago as well? Was that one of the things that you got involved with?
0: Yeah, big time, yeah. I worked, I mean, that was my Glastonbury home for a good run of like four, maybe five years, around 2000 and like 10, 2011, I guess around, around, around that sort of era, I was, I was working for Strummerville. I was sort of, uh, I was working for the charity, not just in Glastonbury, if you know what I mean. Like I was doing a couple of days a week working for the charity, and and the main kind of at the time, the main center of the charity was the Strongville campfire, which we we ran at Glastonbury, and I used to book bands and you know keep the fire burning and uh, run a merch stand and and stuff like that up there. A beautiful time. Awesome. I've only been up there
1: once, uh, mainly because it's just such a slog up the
0: hill. But yeah, it used to it used to be somewhere different. It used to be somewhere different. It used to be where now is the um, unfair ground. Um, That's where the Strumville Campfire used to be, yeah, when I was working there before it became up the top of the hill.
2: No, I always go there because they they have the fire going on, so sometimes late in the evening I stop by to recharge a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's the, you know, I mean, that's another thing that I think perhaps I miss from Glastonbury of days of old was campfires used to be... You know, encouraged, (laughs) um, rather rather than forbidden.
2: Well, I think it's just some uh, one of those things they do need to control as the festival grows. (laughs) We we're we're missing Rob here because Rob, uh, who also used to do podcasts with us, is a firefighter, so he will have something to say maybe. Yeah. Well, I
0: mean, it wasn't, I don't, I'm sure that, you
2: know, never, it never burnt
0: down. You know, I think if you trust people to, 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 to light fires and look after themselves, I actually think that people do better with a bit more, you know, given, given the encouragement and authority of themselves, they actually behave better than if you imply loads of rules and regulations, that's when you get people misbehaving. (laughs) But anyway, again, that's probably a different podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they
1: do still sell firewood, don't they? Like There are some festivals that ban it entirely, but I think, I'm sure, in, at least in 2019, they were still selling the firewood. But maybe that's just me.
2: Yeah, I think they were, yeah. Yeah, definitely
0: yeah okay don't
1: well, know. at least i know I, I can, yeah, yeah i've
2: i
0: sort of felt like maybe they maybe it's just me it's changed yeah maybe there is lots lots <laughs> of fires
1: maybe you're not visiting the campsites as much jay that's it you yeah you everybody I, else showing my true colors anyway.
2: now
0: yeah
2: <laughs> uh, is there any best artists you've seen over the years at glastonbury or any crazy secret sets you happen to see a kind of one of my
0: sort of favorite acts um fruit that has sort of been a thread through um My years of Glastonbury would be K Tempest, Um, going back to the Sound of Rum days, where I saw Sound of Rum. Again, it was them early Stromerville years. So 2010, maybe 11, just walked past a tent in what is now called the Unfair Ground and just heard, you, you know, a a, a sort of band playing that sort of like from outside the tent I was like what is this I love it and ran in and saw Sound of Rum and and heard Kay's words for the first time and they would probably play into you know six or seven people and I finished and just walked it's easier to talk to people isn't it when they're playing to small crowds and uh, I walked up to the three of them afterwards and made sure we became friends should we put it that way and I've followed I've followed Kay's work ever since and and you know seen them play an array of sets over the years and uh West Holtz the years struggle but West Holtz when Kay played and it was the year that um it was like people's faces and was it the Brexit year I don't know I was in tears you know like it was Mm. and there's something about have it, I mean, having a personal connection through our friendship, but also just first seeing the music there and then see it become so important in my life and then watching it on stage and just, uh, it was it was magic. That goes down in my personal history as my, my favorite Glastonbury show of all time, even though I don't know what year it was.
2: Yeah, it, it was 2017 actually. I always go back to that video and, and it's not a lie, but I watch it today, this afternoon. <laughs> Okay yeah I think I think
0: that that, that video because it's captured so well on yeah. the on the BBC coverage isn't it I think that has helped um help secure its place because my memory is awful you know and it is I can go I'd also go back to that video you know like quite regularly mm-hmm. if I need to, to to tap into that and and, and I remember like I as, as it finished as the show finished I turned around and there was like his sort of six foot dude crying as well. We just <laughs> yeah, sort of I... held held each other for a moment and sort of sort of nodded, nodded ourselves and then was like, Okay, brother, take care out there. <laughs> you probably, <Yeah>. probably <laughs> went
2: past me then. It looks like you went past me then. <laughs> yeah. Good
0: man. Yeah, that yeah. was very, very, very special. And I look I look forward to seeing case case set this year, wherever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's
2: I think amazing. it's a Shangri-La actually, isn't it? Is it? Is oh, is it? They'll answer. be doing I more. There's a Shangri La show, but there'll definitely be a nice, nice another one as well. Yeah. Speaking of Shang- Shangri La Naughty Corner, there's a question that we started asking our guests that it kind of reveals how they experienced Glastonbury. And the question is: Is Sunday at six in the morning? Where are you likely to be? I'll probably be asleep in my van
0: yeah. <laughs> or in my tent. Like um, there was whatever the year that Kanye played. I remember I was like, it was the earliest night I'd had all year. I sort of went back to my van to, you know, recharge and have a spliff and was just like, could just lay down. Like, and uh, <laughs> yeah, just woke up the next morning. And I'm, I mean, I also, um, the last few glass days, like I've, uh, uh I've I got no qualms to an early night and an early morning. I've seen some fucking cracking stuff, uh, like getting up early and wandering around. I saw, um, uh Howard Marks a few years ago at like maybe 9 30 a.m you know doing a talk I just got up and was just wandering around by myself looking for some breakfast and it you know like what what a treat and uh so yeah I mean like the Sunday night Monday morning it, that would be a if I've still got it in me I mean certainly back in the day the Monday morning at Stone Circle was like uh that was another kind of sort of religious sort of experience and sort of passing for me i actually had a friend that i used to meet on monday morning at stone circle and i never saw him anywhere else (laughs) and we just used to meet every year at the same spot at sunrise we'd just go up sometimes just the two of us chat for a few hours and be like respect man see you next year never stayed in touch and i don't know his name was mackie um so maybe i'll see him this year yeah,
1: I love that. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, I've tend to find like 6am is probably pushing it for this question, but definitely 4 or 5am I'm usually either in shangri at the truth stage or in bed. It's like one or the other, I think. Maybe Monday morning up at the Stone
2: Circle, who knows? <laughs> I was going to say, Jess, I think we came up with this, with this question thinking we were going to connect with many of our guests, but, but usually it's just... They're in bed already.
0: <laughs>
1: maybe and yeah.
2: maybe that's a, more, that's more and more, I'm starting. I'm starting to feel that maybe I should take it slower. Then I guess I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think it's. I think it's the, uh, the, the Saturday night to Sunday is quite different to Sunday to Monday, isn't it? I'm just remembering now, at 2019 Monday morning. I um, I ended up playing the sort of like the closing song for Chris Tofu in Shangri La and uh and i was like i joined the new york brass band i was like miming playing the trombone walking onto the stage and then was just plugged in the guitar and played the, I can't even remember what I played. I must have had some song which impressed Chris enough to go, turn the music off, Beans is going to do a song. I think it was, it was take your shit home with you. Of course it was, yeah. So it was like yeah. I told everybody to clear up at the at the very end of the festival. So I missed the Stone Circle last year, but I was, you know, even without my uh, my hardcore drugs, I was I, I'm still going strong Monday morning at sort of breakfast time.
1: I, yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bit worried about this year, about my stamina, let's say, after two years off, no glass of and two years older. And yeah, with, uh, well, l- less help, let's say. <laughs> let's just say just booze. Um, it's going to be interesting, but we'll see how we go. Um, cool. Uh, we've only got a couple more questions left. Um, you know, we always we're going to wrap up and sort of talk about, you know, where you are in the lineup this year or like, you know, where we can come find you. but. If somebody, we do have a lot of, you know, we have some listeners on here who are discovering lots through us, uh, and if they have not heard of Beans on Toast, where do you reckon they should start? Is there like an album or anything that you would say would be a good thing to check out to find out the best about you?
0: Um, Well, I mean, I've got 13 albums out there, so... The, I mean, to be honest, if you go on Spotify, you know I think it's the most democratic thing is let the people choose for you and just listen through the top top five, isn't it? You know the most listened through songs. Um, I that's that's a, a good enough start place to start. I mean, I've got a song called "Can't Get a Gig at Glastonbury," and if you're particularly looking for Glastonbury number, then uh, you can listen to that. I mean, other festival songs I've got so there's "Take Your Shit Home with You," which is from an album called "Inevitable Trainwreck." I've got a song called uh, This Side of the Fence on my first album, uh, which is about festivals, and MD Amazing, which sits proudly at the top of my Spotify thing, which has always been everybody's favourite. And that's a a true story about Glastonbury. Um, And yeah, and then if you want, because some of the shows I'll be doing this year, I'll be doing with the band. And uh, so if you want to hear more of what you probably hear this year, then listen to the new album, which is called Survival of the Friendliest. Awesome. Thank you. And I was
1: wondering if you were going to mention your Can't Get a at Glastonbury this year song, because I, I I can't remember if I heard you play that at Glastonbury or if, I, if that is, you know, what what happened there? Did, you know, did, because you say you've played every festival, you know, since you started.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, did, I definitely did. I mean, it was quite embarrassing, really, because it was like, uh, I, I was just being really impatient and I was like, I'm not
5: going to get a gig. I'm not going to get a gig.
0: And I was really upset and uh it was like the first year i'd stopped working for Strummerville, and it was like I, I didn't have an obvious in and uh i was sort of freaking out i wrote the song and it sort of name checks like a bunch of people in it but one of them is billy bragg and then uh i i played the song out at a gig i was like it feels like a good song i played it out at a gig the day after i'd written it and uh, and then the day after that the kind of call came in from Billy or sort of Billy's team saying like, we want you to play left field. And I was like, fuck what am I going to do? I've got this song about not being able to play and now I'm playing. Uh, so I, the, the invite was to play as on left field as part of uh, Billy's big roundup, which is where it's like a, uh, a sort of songwriting circle, like where you share songs, four people get on stage and you kind of, you take turns in playing a song. So I sort of like, played that song about not being able to get a Glastonbury and sort of like name checking Billy and everyone for not perhaps giving me a gig <laughs> while Billy was sat on stage <laughs> sort of next to me. Uh, and just kind of, you know, I was just the most honest way of, of dealing with it. And, uh, you know, everybody took it as well as good they could do. And it sort of went on from there. And then when I played um, what I would consider perhaps my sort of best Glastonbury show so far uh on Avalon stage um again I can't remember the year but it was the first year I played Avalon stage I kind of walked on stage and I was like this is going to be the best gig I'm ever going to play and then sort of went forward and sort of delivered that in my mind but I also I killed the song I was like I'm never going to play this song again I'm going to play I can't get you Glastonbury now for the last ever time and uh and i did you know and i've never played it since I've, which is easy for me to do because i've just forgotten how to play it so even if there's like people it's weird how it's weird how many people want you to go back on your word like me saying that has sort of inspired people to go like go on just play it go on and it's like i'm not gonna do it i mean and it's and it's easy to not do it because i can't uh i can't remember how to play it so yeah i have no intention of of playing it again but it was a,
2: a good little a good little ditty while it lasted but at the, but at the same time you mentioned the the art of fucking up so you can still try it so that's not an excuse i guess
4: <laughs>
0: yeah well, I'm, I'm more i'm more true to my word than the art of fucking up i guess but if, if there was like a, if, if if there was like an inkling to play it if it was like oh, i wouldn't even know the first chord to start with i mean I, of course i can probably guess it <laughs> yeah yeah not
2: off the cuff no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Mais, that's a great story. Uh, I guess to to start moving towards the end, I would just like to make some questions about this year's festival. Uh, you already mentioned K-Tempest, but is there any other artists you're looking forward to on the lineup this year?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the s- without sort of like... It's not just because I'm part of it, but certainly the, um, the Shangri-La lineup is, is sort of... Is, has tickled me the most at the moment I mean Bob Villain I'm yet to see uh Bob Villain live but I love the album and I can only imagine it's going to be a fucking riot um as as a live show it certainly looks like it from from online so Bob Villain who else is there there's I mean Paul McCartney really that's kind of where you know that's on the drive down I'll be you know, we blasted the Beatles, let's 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 be honest about about that. Um, I was yeah, that's that's probably it. I mean, there's a whole bunch I kind of I, I can't really get too into it until that full lineup is is released with all the little stages yeah. and all the time slots. I kind of get a little yeah. like, bamboozled by all the as the sort of different pay it feels like loads of different festivals I sort of look at it and go, Oh, that'd be cool, that'd be cool. And then I need I need that sort of like, you know, the few hours in front of the website when it's like here's everyone when they're on. And you're like,
4: fuck, yeah.
0: I mean, and obviously you miss half the shit that you sort of think you're going to see then, but there's no harm in trying.
2: Amazing. And uh, yeah, you just said the full lineup hasn't been officially released, but uh, can you share where and when you're going to be playing? Um, I don't know whether I can, to be honest. I mean, I can tell
0: you this. I'm doing a show a day. I'm doing a show on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. One gig each day. And each gig, and each gig will be... Um, different to the last like a couple of them will be solo um one i'll be playing with matt ten shares my piano player i'll be doing one with a full band i'm doing a kind of late night more sort of jams with a bunch of different musicians and stuff like that so each if if you were so inclined to come along to every beans on toast gig uh you wouldn't sort of see the same thing twice if you know what i mean and if anybody does, they get some kind of award. I don't know what the <laughs> award w- will be. Maybe a, a medal or something. But I'll, I'll, on my first show on the Wednesday, um, on the Wednesday when I did my first show, which is at the bandstand, um, I will I will sort of like introduce the kind of the award system that I'll be putting in place. That I haven't really thought, I'm only thinking about right now as we speak. <laughs> amazing there's me thinking like
1: right how much do I want this award um no okay cool (laughs) so we've got bandstand we know you're on Shangri-La at some point and I I I mean it would be right to assume you're probably going to play Greenpeace right and then that's all I'm gonna push you for
0: (laughs) I mean well yeah Maybe. <laughs> At the, uh, I did, maybe I did. I did mention my favourite festival time slot as well, didn't I? Yeah, so
1: yeah, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. Oh, yeah, perhaps
0: within enough. within here, there's some decoding that can go, oh, <laughs> that's not going to get me in trouble for actually announcing anything.
1: Amazing. I think to be honest, by the time we put this out, I bet the lineup's going to come. Out. I think it's going to
0: be due any day now. So yeah, you know, hopefully hope this so. won't
1: you know be too secret. <laughs>
0: yeah awesome well I mean I could yeah yeah. let's just leave it as that people will
1: find
2: we are very happy we are (laughs) very happy to learn what what you share with us already
1: (laughs) awesome cool and I I guess we can wrap up here but are there any other you know is there any other little Glastonbury tidbit story that you want to leave us with before we before we sign off no worries if not
5: I think
0: uh, uh, one thing that never sort of gets the credit that it's due is Sam Sauna you know it's a, a oh. na- i don't know whereabouts it is but it's like a a full-on kind of steam room you know like if you're feeling it you can go naked but feel free to sort of leave your pants on as well um but like you know if you need to step out of it it's like dark proper steam room like, like not plunge pool but like cold water showers afterwards and you know like it's, it's a kind of like sort you right out basically and uh it, it it doesn't, it does there's no all singing or all dancing. It's just there for those who know about it. And I'd, I'd, I'd highly, you know, I kind of use it when I need it and, it and it sorts you right
2: out. Is that the, the Lost Horizon? No, that's, that's, a, that's,
0: that's another, it's similar to that. I know that Lost Horizon has a stage where you're allowed to play naked, aren't you? I've always, tro- always wanted to play there because I always, like I said, I feel so comfortable on stage. I kind of would like to see what happens if I had to play a gig without my kit on. And uh, it would also be a good it'd be a good point for any gigs that look like they weren't going to go well in the future. You could be like, well, at least I'm allowed to wear my clothes. Um, so <laughs> if anybody from Lost Horizon is listening and wants a, a, a butt-naked Beans on Toast gig, please do get in touch.
2: <laughs> Just make sure you're at the right stage, otherwise you're going to start playing and get a gig at Glastonbury this year again. <laughs> yeah exactly
1: well let's just leave it at that then i reckon um thank you very much jay it's been awesome having you on thank you for just my pleasure chatting glastonbury you know it's like our favorite subject and i kind of knew it was one of your favorite subjects as well so i knew that you'd be i had a feeling you'd be keen i've <laughs> had a great time I've
0: had leave no trace
1: yes leave no trace amazing, amazing. thank you so much will. jay
2: And there you have it! What a great conversation with Beans on Toast! And since we recorded this chat, the full lineup has come out, so now you can go to the Glastonbury website and find out where he'll be playing to see if you can get your hands on this prize, whatever it may be. Or you can also download the official Glastonbury mobile app and build your own lineup there. Or, if you wanna do like the old timers, go check clashfinder.com where you can make your selections. And that's it from us, this is our last episode before the festival. So from us at cash. have the most amazing festival ever. Uh, Make sure you drink loads of water, I guess. If you see us around the fields, come say hello, unless it's after midnight in that case, probably let it go. And from me personally, so sorry about all these bits recorded with me trying to put on a radio voice, which I don't have. That's Jesse's kill. And finally, to finish this episode, we receive a really nice contribution from Connor, who was already a guest in our podcast on the episode about volunteering. Beans on toast style, he recorded a music about festival. So, Connor is going to introduce the track for us. And if you're anything like me, that's going to get your excitement through the roof.
5: Hi, guys. Uh, Connor from the poppy rock band My Everest. Hope you're all well. It's great to actually speak to you again. Um, I joined the guys on the pod way back on the stewarding episode, which seems like a lifetime ago. I cannot believe we haven't had a festival since. Um, I've been an Oxfam steward for a decade now, would recommend it to anyone. I failed to get a ticket. I thought it was my only way in and haven't looked back since. It's a great way to experience the festival. But I'm coming from you in a different guise. Uh, the singer of the band My Everest. We love the festival as well and not a completely original idea. We've written a song about it, Sorry, Beans on Toast. You know, I close my eyes, put myself on the pyramid stage, and I've written lyrics that I'd like to hear from an unknown band, lucky enough to be in that position. You may hear call-outs to your favourite areas, parts of the festival. It's basically a love letter to a muddy field in Somerset. We hope it can be your kind of once-a-year anthem, a song you dust off and belt out in the moment. Um, a bit like, hey, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas, but in the summer. The hook we don't need anywhere else but here is something I'm sure you can resonate. That's how, exactly how I feel when I'm at Glastonbury. Last cool kind of connection to the festival, the artwork, which you can see if you follow the band at My Everest Music across all socials, was actually designed um, by Leanne, who is a fellow Oxfam steward at Design Strikes on Instagram. Someone I met at the festival, became friends with, she's a brilliant artist and it's kind of designed around the Glastonbury bins. Check it out, check out the Anne's work. Hoping the guys on the pod will play the song now. Enjoy the track, we are worthy.
4: Packed up here, we got the road trip playlist on Once a year we get there early The side of us feels like home Okay, cool. Should we
1: just do a, a goodbye then, Miguel? Is that, is that yeah, yeah I, think, wanna, I think that's it. Yeah. Do you want to do the goodbye? No, you, you just I?
2: go for it,
0: please. Okay, cool. You've been listening to Glastocast. Oh, what was it called? <laughs> sure. You've been listening to Glastocast. This is Beans on Toast, Jesse and Miguel. Checking out. See you in the fields.
1: <laughs> Love that.
0: <laughs> can we actually use that?
1: Because I loved it.
0: Of course you can. You might have to have that at the beginning. I want want, want production credits as well